Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, your ghost host. (laughs) I must confess that Halloween is my favorite holiday of the year. That might sound strange to you since I'm the Catholic foodie, but Halloween is a Catholic feast day and celebration. Not only is All Hallows' Eve the vigil of the Solemnity of All Saints, it also kicks off a month dedicated by the Church to remembering and praying for the dead. Perfect time of the year for it, too, fall, as we prepare to enter into the death of winter. For me, Halloween carries with it so many memories from my childhood and adolescence, good memories. As a matter of fact, I have Halloween and all the spooky, otherworldly trappings that surround it to thank for instilling in me a deep understanding that there is something more to life than meets the eye. There's a mystery just beyond the veil of visible life. In this time of the year, the veil seems to thin between the visible and invisible. So see, not strange at all, right? Or is it? Today on Halloween, I bring you a special Halloween edition of the Catholic Foodie Show. So get ready, turn on the lights, grab your rosary and holy water if you scare easily, and help me welcome a couple of sick pilgrims. Or perhaps today we should say stranger pilgrims to the show to help us dive into the Catholic weirdness of Halloween. Jessica Mesman Griffith and Jonathan Ryan of Sick, Sick Pilgrim Blog. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. Hey, we're back. It's awesome. I know. And on a special day, nonetheless. Our favorite day. It's really our high holy day. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> Sick Pilgrim high holy day. So I'm yeah. not alone. I mean, not the church's high holy day. Just ours. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have it. <laughs> so I'm not alone in, in loving this holiday, Halloween? Not at all. Not at all. Talking to another um, friend of mine who is definitely a sick pilgrim, and she was telling me how she absolutely spends more money on Halloween decorations than Christmas or Thanksgiving or birthdays. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, me too. So much more fun. And that's true. I mean, it's certainly, certainly true to have, you know, and I think, I think part of it for me was, I mean, I I grew up in Baton Rouge, right? So it wasn't New Orleans and people associate New Orleans with like the, the, the voodoo and the magic and the, that kind of stuff. Uh, Matter of fact, I've been posting those pictures lately on Instagram and Facebook, Twitter uh, from that big mansion on St. Charles Avenue, right there, the corner of St. Charles and State Street that every year has all the skeletons out, right? And that's kind of classic. It's you go to New Orleans, you see the graves above ground. You know the the, the mausoleums, and not yeah, just mausoleums, crypt. but mm-hmm. the crypts are all above ground because New Orleans is under sea level, right? But I grew up in Baton Rouge, and in Baton Rouge, we weren't my family, at least, did not look favorably upon New Orleans. I mean, they were afraid of it, right? It was a big city. It was, it yeah, was a lot of yeah, uh, yeah. Un, unseemly people there, right? And and not necessarily safe. And you want to stay on the right side of the tracks kind of a thing, or at least yep. the safe side. And so we didn't really go or venture into the city much when I was growing up. However, I still think that a lot of it is just that South Louisiana, very earthy, Cajun and Creole on both sides, that, that history that, that mm-hmm. had sort of a mystical sense about life just regular life that there's something there beyond the touch something there beyond what you could see but it is just so real you know 
And mm-hmm. uh, and that was kind of the, I think what played a part for me at least in in that whole magic of this holiday. Yeah, I'm getting to be somebody else. Creating, I think even and when you're a kid, being able to dress up. And you know, we we've talked about this. Um, the idea that um, all that involved in our Halloween <laughs> excursions. So when we went trick or treat, we were kind of on our own, you know, back in the day. And so to be able to like put on a costume and have this surge of confidence at playing a role, at being someone else, and then go out into your neighborhood at night, which wasn't something you might have normally been able to do, and have the world kind of be alive around you with kids running everywhere and laughter and screaming and and you know horrifying decorations and the always the subtle threat of having a razor blade in your candy or something <laughs> it was just so thrilling it was so thrilling but and so we've lost some of that independence with our the way we parent our children now i still see them reveling in it and days in the year where the world gets turned upside down and and they sense the excitement in that too so it's so fun to watch yeah, I mean, I unlike both of you, I grew up in the Midwest, and there was uh, sort of this. There's a. I feel like I love New Orleans, and I love the creepy vibe. But and Midwest has its own unique creepy vibe. It's more sad. It's more. Um, it's more. I don't know. It's darker, seemingly. Um, I remember as. A, no, it's the setting of Stranger Things. It's the setting of Close Encounters of the Third Exactly. Time. I, I'm beginning to appreciate the Midwest now that I, I live in the in well, they don't consider northern Michigan the Midwest really, but but I'm starting to get it, Jonathan. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, because I think it's it's you know I think one of the things that we've we've talked about on Stick Pilgrim, but also uh, you know one of the big things that we're concerned about is the search for mystery, and you know I had to learn it growing up in the Midwest of like you know even growing up here I was like ah oh, Midwest it's boring for corn country but the looked looked deeper uh, there's a lot of strange things that go on around here um the mound midwest for one thing um no one is exactly sure when those things are built and by who they have an idea but no one knows for sure so you know these are these are humongous structures of like in newark ohio it's the largest enclosed earthen enclosed structure in the world um, in Newark, Ohio, which is, you know, 30 miles east of Columbus. So, um, and then the Serpent Mound. So there's like all these strange mysteries that people, if they look a little bit closer and it's sort of instructive for everybody, like mystery is just around the corner if you know where to look. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like a cliche, but it, it really is true. Well, and it's everywhere in our country. I mean, in New Orleans, it's obvious because the graveyards are often above ground, like Jeff was saying. But um, Jonathan and I are both reading this book called Ghostland, book, a journalist writing about um, the haunted places in America. And he talks in this book about how pretty much all of America is a graveyard. And we're all living on Indian territory and Native American territory. And the trope of, you know, a Native American burial ground is always seems to play into our horror movies. But I think it's a real kind of fear of all of ours that we're living on borrowed property (laughs) that we don't maybe don't have too much business being on. Um, And that's another great 
I don't know. It's just, it's an American story that we all have, even if you don't live in New Orleans. And I think, you know, you sense that in the Midwest too, and especially in Northern Michigan, I'm learning a lot about the Native American history up here and how haunted, you know, every place is by kind of a violent um, past. And that all, I just see that all kind of like bubbling up to the surface on Halloween. Like we're seeing our world maybe as it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think too. It's it's sort of the West. You know, Americans have a, a really terrible at history. Um, they want to shove it aside. They don't want to remember it. Um, but like Jess said in, in this book that he points out, you know, history's history's not all around us, and we can't ignore it. And I think the idea of that. Americans are, are so used to this idea. We have to look for other places for mystery. Um, and as Jess was saying, the mystery is right there. It's like, right, right. doesn't matter where you live, whether it's the Midwest or New Orleans or New York, um, there's strange things going on. If you, if you train yourself to look that way, look for it. Cause yeah. It's so those Halloween decorations hanging from the trees, you know, they're just a reminder <laughs> that you know those things are around you every day we just make them visible on halloween yep it's almost like a i don't know a sacramental in a sense huh kind of point you to absolutely something that's really there but we just can't really you know perceive it with the senses necessarily perfect yeah it's kind of kind of wild and and as humans i mean i guess that really does jive with our catholic faith right i mean looking at it from that perspective i mean we are bodily creatures and we need um that that connection with the senses in order to perceive uh and and even in the catholic faith to receive uh, graces at least sacramental graces uh we, we we get that through the body right through through tangible physical things whether it's water water and uh, you know our, our, our bread and wine or uh, holy oil or, or, or whatever it may be. So, I mean, I don't know what it is. To me, it's always been something very um, earthy, but more than than that. And I, I don't know if I even have the words to describe the sense that I'm trying to convey, but that there's something very, um, I don't know, almost like at the beginning, you know what I mean? Preternatural, is that a word? That's a word, right? Mm-hmm. You know, something yeah, from yeah, the yeah. very beginning. Yeah. That that's that is, you know, <laughs> the heart of it all, and it, everything else is kind of a trapping, and we're just bumbling along here, and once a year get reminded, or if you have to go to a funeral, you know, during the year, you know, get reminded of that there's something more. Well, that's it. It's memento well, mori. Remember, you will die. Um, that's what we're getting that's what we have in halloween decorations that's what we that's what the story of halloween is and so and i always see it and we treat it this way in my family as a preparation for day which is what it is it's all Hallows eve it's a christian a thoroughly christian holiday um and you're preparing to celebrate all saints and all souls by confronting your own mortality and the mortality of all those who've gone on before us and yet, especially for us today in, in, uh, in modern-day uh, America, uh, it, that's a challenge. Hold on to your Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's break time. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media with your host, Jeff Young. Joined today by some stranger pilgrims, Jessica and Jonathan from Sick Pilgrim on Patheos, 
We have to take a quick break, but I promise we won't leave you here alone for too long. We'll be back in just a minute. We're back. Told you we wouldn't leave you here alone for too long. Now let's get back to our conversation with Jessica and Jonathan from Sick Pilgrim Blog. Before the break, Jonathan, you were talking about, we were talking about um, kind of Halloween being almost sacramental in a sense. And Yeah, I think, you know, we were talking about sacramental and, and all those things. I think it's true. But but I think if connections more concretely, I mean, there's the, the story in the Gospels where you know, Jesus is crucified and he gives up the, gives up the ghost and the, um, the temple veil is rent in two. And, and in one of the gospels, and I can't remember the passage off the top of my head, but uh, it talks about the saints of the Old Testament walking the streets and talking to people. Like, you know, here are these right, dead yeah. people and all of a sudden they're <laughs> going around chatting with people. Like, and, and, and it's only recently I've started to think of sort of the theological implications of that, of like, you know, Christ, you know, tore the temple veil in two, but I wonder if it's not something else going on where he tore the veil between the seen and the unseen worlds as well. Um, and things, things start leaking in. So, you know, every time we, we celebrate the Eucharist, which let's face it, is sort of divine time travel. It's not sacrificing Jesus over and over again. It's right. reconnecting with that moment of the sacrifice and the crucifixion. Yeah, I think it seems to me, and, and I'm actually writing about this today for Sick Pilgrim, is, is, you know, I think when we practice the Eucharist, wherever we are and whatever uh, parish we're in, it's a hammering at the veil between the seen and the unseen worlds. And one day, you know, the two are going to become blended and become one. So the Eucharist is this, you know, it's not just us being nourished in Christ, it's accomplishing something else it's making a new creation it's it's creating a, a fusion between the seen and the unseen worlds that will eventually become completely together so i think um which is the subject of so many of the books that we love yes um, we read a lot of weird tales and um horror fiction and fantasy see what that might look like without christ yes and and I think often that's an interpretation of Halloween when we see what that would look like without Christ. Like what a permanent state of basically hell and chaos and despair would look like. And so that's why even a really gory Halloween display, I, I'm, I have an aversion to such things. You know, I really like the old school skeleton and witch theme, mm-hmm. but you know, things have gotten really violent um in the halloween decoration department like you yeah. can't even take a kid into a halloween store anymore because it's just like cut off heads yeah. and gore and like nasty serial killer clowns but even that i've come to see is valuable in a way it's almost like game of thrones where you like get to see a pre-christian world or or what a world looks like without christian without christianity like that's sort of how i see those really gruesome halloween things is you know without Christ as king mm-hmm. is really horrifying. Right. It kind of maybe helps you to appreciate a little bit more <laughs> the fact that Christ is king, right? 
Right, exactly. Well, one of our uh, Arthur Mackin, who's who's one of my favorite weird fiction writers at the store called Great Bod Pan. And um, the opening scene of that book is terrifying. And, and I don't, it's it's about this girl who's this, this scientist who's delved into the realm of the supernatural. And he thinks that he can perform a surgery on this girl to help her see the unseen world. And it, and it works, but it drives her, in, like Jess was saying, without Christ, it drove her insane, it drove her crazy. Um, and that's what the rest of the book is basically about. Um, seeing, stepping into that realm without the protection of Christ is mm. a dangerous thing. Which is why you shouldn't use a Ouija board. I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> let's, let's just go ahead and warn you. I mean, right. ever watched a horror movie in your life? Just don't do it. <laughs> it starts with a Ouija board. <laughs> yeah. Everything starts with a Ouija board and an imaginary friend. Just don't do it. <laughs> and I tell you, and that is a fine line. I think that's where that's the point of uh, departure, maybe where there is there has been a lot of uh, I, I don't know fear mongering, whatever you want to call it, about Halloween over the I mean since I have been a parent, right? Or actually since I've been an adult, uh, where uh, in general it seems like Christians, Catholics aren't looking at. Halloween the same way that I did when I was growing up, right? It's not as, it, it, it's not something, well, it's just not Christian is the way that a lot of people see it. And, and maybe it is that point of departure because there is something very real and very scary about mm-hmm. opening yourself up to bad things, right? And, uh, and, and, that, and that is very real. And so you don't want to go there at the same time to have that uh, understanding that there is a world beyond ours, and that sometimes that perhaps that veil is 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 very uh, uh, thin, and, and that and that's a good thing because it could also help us, remind us, call us forth to um, to strive for the things that we should be striving for in this life, keeping in mind the last things. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple layers there. You know, I think one of them is that we do have Christ protection you do need to call on that protection i do believe that that you should that these are serious issues and that you shouldn't dabble in them lightly reminder that this world is oh that the unseen is real um and maybe we need to be scared sometimes of what's out there and in touch on a normal basis maybe we need to realize that the the battle we're fighting is much bigger Mm -hmm. i'll never i went to confession one time because i having these fears of the devil as like a man with a pitchfork waiting for me around the corner and i wanted to talk to a priest about it and um because you know i watched too many horror movies growing up (laughs) you know he's really not a guy with a pitchfork and i was like yeah right but um he said to think that is to underestimate the nature of the battle we face and that really stuck with me and i think we need to be aware that the battle is greater than as we're going around our daily business. That's why I love those weird tales that juxtapose like the inanity and banality of daily life with something really fantastic and horrifying going on like right behind the scrim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, the master of that was Charles Williams, right? I mean, he was a master 
the mundane and introducing the marvelous, as C.S. Lewis calls it. The marvelous. It. Um, <laughs> the marvelous. <laughs> but um, there, Jeff, there's a video of C.S. Lewis uh, talking about the works of Charles Williams, who is a who is a one of the Inklings, and he and he describes Charles Williams' work as the marvelous. So he has this deep, you know, English tone to it. But I, I think the other side of it too, though, is I mean, and, and going to Lewis, and so we talked in the escape letters about. You know, there's two errors that you can fall into when you're talking about the realm of demons or the unseen world. It's mm-hmm. is uh, not believing it and on being too obsessed with it, and 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 on the lines being too scared. I mean, mm-hmm. I just finished reading a short story about the Salem witch trials, and I was thinking about it. Um, you, you know, it's amazing how in the movie Witch, if you've if you've seen that, um, mm-hmm. does a great job of describing that mindset of how terrified. The Puritans were just absolutely terrified of the devil, like to the point where Jesus was no longer even a thing. Um, and I think the movie The Witch yeah. brings that out really well, so to the point where the devil won because of just this direct terrorism, mm-hmm. because everyone was just ter- was a f- so afraid. And I, because and of I, fear. Yeah, and I and yeah. I wonder like if that's because the Puritans had the sacramental removed from them, like they yeah. didn't even get into it. They didn't. You know, it was not a thing for them. They were sort of left hanging to the wind to this unseen realm, which the devil was at work at Salem, just not in the way that, you know, but sometimes I wonder if what happened at Salem, there was one little manifestation that kind of set off the whole thing. And then the mm-hmm. devil did his work through other through other ways. And so, but I, I, I wondered as I read that, having come from a denomination that was obsessed with the Puritans, like, you know, when you're so obsessed with the devil, and and you and you become sort of gnostic in your belief that the mm-hmm. devil is more powerful than God, um, mm-hmm. that it that it puts you at risk as well. I think to yeah. to do other evil, maybe not necessarily direct terrorism of possession or anything like that. And I, and I think that that would be um, in line with the fact that doesn't matter what denomination you are, when when something weird's happening in your house. Or with people, who who, who are you gonna call? <laughs> it's not it's not call Ghostbusters, right? You call a priest. You go to a Catholic <laughs> priest, right? Right. You know? And and I spent I was spent a lot of time in the seminary, uh, four well yeah four years in a seminary, and uh, I have friends who who are priests. I've, I've I've been around priests with you know for a long time. I spent a lot of time with them, and I and I've heard the stories of the non-Catholics calling up the parish because they got some weird stuff going on at home, you know? I mean, that kind of thing mm-hmm. happens. And I wonder if it is just the fact that there's something in our very natures, right? That, um, that knows not necessarily intellectually, not, not consciously, but something inside of us that just knows that we are able to touch God. We are able to have that connection with God, through the bodies that that we are, right? We're not Cartesian uh, dualists here, like you know, from Descartes, a ghost in a machine. But we are body and soul, and, and and our spirituality, our prayer, has to incorporate our bodies. You know, and I, th- I think that may play a part. Yes. But we will have to resume this. Guess when? Anybody got a Snickers? Oh, wait, never mind. We we got to take a break. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media with your host Jeff Young and Sick Pilgrims Jessica and Jonathan. 
I wasn't kidding about the break, but that's okay, really. We'll be back in just a minute. have good news. We're back. Break's over. I'm just like living it up here in, in, in the magic of Halloween. Uh, Jonathan, you, you had um, recommended a, a, a number of, of books and resources a, a few weeks back, uh, I think it was as we entered October, for this time of the year for this feast. And I'm actually reading Charles Williams' All Hallows Eve, you know, and and I'm and I'm yeah. tell you what I, I'm actually missing so much because, you know, I grew up this way. I grew up something just in me being drawn to mystery. Now, as a kid, that may have been the Loch Ness monster. It may have been Bigfoot, Bermuda Triangle. It may have been ghosts, you know, and ghost stories. Um, it, it, those kind of things. But I couldn't get enough of it. I read book after book about all kind of different things where you have the same thing happening here where, where, where the mystery of the beyond is kind of moving into our everyday lives and um, I guess for a while I kind of put that aside you know as try to be normal <laughs> try to grow up and, and be normal <laughs> and you guys are just bringing out That's like so the fun. best in me here y'all are just it's just it's right. great this is awesome well, so we like, love well, here. <laughs> that's great it's awesome well, I, you know I think I think both of us and this is one of the first conversations that Chess and I ever had was was about this sort of thing. That's how we, that's how our friendship was formed, really. I mean, because you know, as a kid, I, I was the same way, Jeff. I, uh, I actually wasn't allowed to watch horror movies like Freddy Krueger or anything like that. So I had to nurture my weird, strange imagination by doing the same things you did, like reading ghost <laughs> stories and Bigfoot, and you know, I, um, there's the the most terrifying one to me is the Mothman of West Virginia. Oh yeah. You guys have heard this one. Yeah. That's just absolutely creepy. Jeff, have you heard this story at all? I haven't. Um, and, and I think it was, uh, 1967 or 68, this, um, creature with red glowing eyes appeared in, um, uh, in a town in West Virginia, Point Pleasant and, uh, started chasing teenagers and appearing to people. And then all this weird, strange stuff just exploded in the town. People getting strange phone calls, strange people appearing in the town. It was just this weird thing. Um, and they call it the Mothman because the thing actually flew, supposedly, but there was actually much more things going on with it. And the, the bizarre thing, I mean, if that wasn't strange enough. <laughs> now we get it. That wasn't strange enough. Well, well it's, 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 it's more bizarre. It's even more tragic because um, the Silver Bridge over the Ohio River, almost a year to the day when the sighting started, uh, there was a bridge over the Ohio River. It was right during the Christmas rush season, collapsed, mm. killing over 60 people. And in a town like oh, wow. Point Pleasant, which is probably only about 2,500 people, that mm. makes a significant dent. Uh, you, you know, and they and they talk about it there. Like someone you knew at least knew someone or knew somebody who lost somebody on the bridge. So mm. it was a terrible tragedy. So it's like. Not only do you have the sightings of all these weird, strange, bizarre things, but then you have this tragedy in life. And so that story as a kid terrified me, absolutely terrified me. 
I was actually able to go to Point Pleasant a few years ago. It was still scared the crap out of me. This is like, uh, because supposedly where he appeared, there's this old TNT, uh, World War II TNT bunkers, and you and you go out there, and there's nobody there. It's in the middle of the woods, and the bunkers are covered like with look like earthen mounds, but then they have these metal doors, hmm. and it's just it's the creepiest one of the oh, creepiest places I've ever been. And I, I, I'm still getting chills talking about it. Honestly, it's just like it's like I think I'm gonna get back in my car and get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's. Um, but I think I think both of us are our imagination as kids were we're we're nursed on those sort of things. And, and I think that's the one thing, you know, I, I think, you know, at the time as a kid I was like, I wanna watch horror movies, but then now I thank my parents for that because I've made a writing career out of it. So, hey, there you of, go. Uh, of, going, of not <laughs> just being satisfied with the slasher movies, but going going deeper into that horror. Yeah, yeah. I had the opposite experience in that my mom um my mom, I had really young parents. Um, <laughs> they maybe had some errors in judgment along the way, but they loved watching <laughs> horror movies with us. And I, I mean, they would get excited. Like, I remember them being thrilled when they could get A Nightmare on Elm Street on video. Oh, wow. Um, and we watched it as a family for like family movie oh, night. Wow. I think I was 10. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love the death because it has a New Orleans foodie element, but we got Bud's Broiler. Oh, yeah. We got, yeah, we got Bud's Burgers, and we sat around with our TV trays and watched the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And I never slept again, ever. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I have my mom thanks for that. But they were very childlike in their appreciation of <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. So it, now looking back, I'm like, there's no way I have a 10-year-old. Over my dead body when she watched Nightmare right. on Elm Street. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember, I have to confess, I, I actually snuck into uh, that movie. I can't remember how old I was. I don't know. <laughs> when it, what year did it come out? 84? 85? Um, Before yeah. that? I don't know. It was somewhere around there. So, I, 85, I got my license. It may have been 84. Um, I remember uh, me and, and, and three or four of my friends... Uh, bought tickets for one movie, but went into Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was in the seat thinking, "We shouldn't have done this." It seemed like it was a great idea at all. Terrifying <laughs> <laughs> movie, oh, and I'm still so terrifying. And I watched a lot. I watched The Exorcist with my mom on Halloween night. I don't even remember how old I was, but. Um, there was a safety in her presence there that for somehow it wasn't as traumatic as it should have been, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I definitely think it formed my imagination. The other thing that I loved as a child was detective novels oh, and yeah. I would, oh, yeah. I, I would always pretend to be a detective. And I think that those, I think that kind of plays into my becoming a writer too. And the things that I write about, like I'm always looking for a mystery. I always wanted to stumble across a profound mystery, you know, and I was always very disappointed by the little mundane things that would happen in my tiny neighborhood in Slidell. I always wanted something bigger, um, more cosmic to happen in my life. And so, yeah, I, I was drawn to the occult and and I was drawn to the Catholic Church for the same reasons. And I remember confessing yeah. that to Jonathan and wondering if, you know, yeah, the occult is dangerous and can be a gateway to other um, 
negative and horrible things, but can it also be a gateway in the other direction? <laughs> because right. as we all know, yeah. the antidote to the occult is Catholicism. Like we were saying earlier, when something horrible happens and you fear you're being possessed or have a poltergeist, you're the first person you're going to call is a priest. That's right. um, we sense that the Catholic Church has authority and power. Yeah. Darker things. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think back to when I was growing up, I went to Catholic schools from, I think, fifth grade on. And I remember, you know, every once in a while, the priest would come and hear confessions. When This this was from when I was in grade school to even later in high school. It's like, you know, from time to time in religion class, people would get to go up, take turns, going to confession and coming back. So it was during class. Mm-hmm. And I was the kid, me, from fifth grade on. When I went to confession, I was always in there for like 45 minutes, you know, because I had a... <laughs> A list of things to talk about. A list of things to talk about. And I mean, it was, you know, it was my sins, of course, but it was also, I guess, the questions, the confusion of mm-hmm. the devil, of the spiritual world, of, of those kind of things. And I remember one time, I, I must have been maybe in eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and I had been reading H.P. Lovecraft and, you know, the Cthulhu uh, mythos, mythos. And um, playing, I think there was a, a, a role-playing game, The Call of Cthulhu, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I had been playing yeah, that yeah, too. Yeah, and yeah. I had come across uh, the, the, a book in the bookstore and I bought it without my parents knowing. Because, you know, back in the day, they didn't care. They'd drop you off the mall. You can, you're gone like yeah. all day. Yeah. They didn't know. They, as long right. as you're back where you're supposed to be at a certain time and you haven't robbed anybody or hurt anybody, you're okay. And so I, I bought a book, they never knew about it, called the Necronomicon, right? And this is kind of going back to Alester Crowley and some of the other, that, that, that kind of stuff. Well, yep. a few weird things happened after I got that book. And I, I think it had been mentioned in, uh, it was just a paperback, right? Paperback. But in, in the Cthulhu, uh, Cthulhu stories, this was like a, uh, a, a, a bound book. It was bound in like human flesh and all that kind of stuff, right? So that's not what I had. I had a paperback. <laughs> but anyway, it, 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 it scared me enough. It scared, this, the kind of the whole, like, some weird things happened, just little weird things with what? involving like, like, like flies and, you know, just weird stuff. I noticed weird stuff. I felt like weird stuff was happening at the house, that kind of thing, because I had the book there. And so I actually took the book at one point and put it between two Bibles and put rubber bands around it and went and stuck it out in the garage, okay? And then, nice. so I go to nice. confession. This is my favorite story ever now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm talking to the priest about it. And so he, he, part of his practical advice was to say, you may want to just mention this to your mom and dad, you know? <laughs> so... I remember mentioning it to them and my dad said that he would take the book back. You know, he would, he took the book out, I'd take it back to the store, you know? So I remember handing the book off to him and worrying for his salvation. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? All right. Now everybody knows more about me than they ever have before. <laughs> we all have the stories. I assure you, Jeff, you have just, you have been a consolation to someone's soul just now because we all have them. I did the same thing. We had a Parker Brothers Ouija board. We do need to take a break, so we're going to come back to your story. Trick or treat. I got a rock. Oops, wait. No, that's Charlie Brown's bag. 
I did just get nabbed by the brake police, though. Guess that means we gotta take a break. You know the drill. The Catholic Foodie, Breadbox Media, Sick Pilgrims, and we'll be back in just a minute. talking before the break about well weird experiences <laughs> i kind of confess some stuff there that um it's kind of weird you know but have y'all i mean jessica I had to cut you off to go to break you you were talking about um kind of a similar type of experience yeah i feel like all catholic children have these stories from their childhood where they um <laughs> either accidentally or out of curiosity, they got a little brave one night and they pulled out the Parker Brothers Ouija board with a friend and um, they knew better, but they did it anyway. Well, I was kids and um, uh, she was really horrified that I'd done this in her house because of course we'd both seen the exorcist at that point and knew that you don't, that's like the first <laughs> rule, don't use the Ouija board. Right. So even though, you know, nothing had happened, I, I was probably moving the planchette. I, nothing happened weird while we were doing it, but um, I mean to get rid of it, but she was also sort of intrigued being a weirdo Catholic herself. So she just made me keep it in my playhouse in the backyard and it wasn't allowed to actually cross the threshold into our home. But it was always this thing that we knew this like Oracle was out there in the backyard, but we couldn't quite get rid of it. But we couldn't, but we acknowledged it's like horrible power. So it couldn't come in. Anyway, I just wanted to sympathize with you for your story about oh, well, your Lovecraft you. book. Because I think we all moments where we like went a little too far and got scared. And then we had to call on the power of the church to like undo our horrible sins. So I'm right there with you. And that's exactly how it is, isn't it? I mean, we. It, I mean, the good thing, at least, I'm looking back on it now as a, as an adult. I see where where did I turn? Where did I go to? I went to God. I went to the church. You know, and you see the the power there, and knowing that Jesus is bigger than the boogeyman, right? I mean, Jesus ain't nobody bigger than than Jesus. Um, and so he, he, he is the power and, uh, and, and that's where I went, even as a child, kind of knowing that and understanding that, that, that ultimately that's the mystery, right? Ultimately it's, it's our participation in his life that is the mystery. So Jonathan, what about you? Any weird, strange, bizarre experiences? Yeah. I mean, and the weird and the strange have kind of followed me around. It was, um, most of my life actually, um, my, when I was, this, this was actually when I was about 27, 28 and I was married and, um, had just taken my first church, um, in Collinsville, which is across the river in St. Louis. And we had this, this house that was built in the subdivision that was on this old farm field that they had converted into a, a subdivision. So I had this, this huge, massive backyard, which was a pain in the butt to mow, um, cause it was a converted cornfield right so the the rows were still kind of bumpy or whatever and then right up back up to our backyard was a bike trail so one morning um 
my ex-wife looks out the window and she said, someone just walked through our backyard. And I said, well, you know, someone, because it, it had snowed that night and so you could see the footprints coming through there. And I was like, well, someone probably just walked through the middle of the night. And uh, at the time she was eight months pregnant. So she was just like having me check out oh, yeah. everything. So she was like, <laughs> she's like I, I want you to go out. I want you to go out and look at these footprints. I'm like, all right, all right no problem. So I get, I come outside the house and um, I noticed that there are no footprints on either side of the house, which seemed kind of strange because they were going to walk from a bike trail to the, the road in front of our house. They would have had to cut through the sides. There's nothing like that. So then I go around to the corner of the house. We lived in like a split level house. So I go around to the corner and on the second floor is where our, our bedroom was. And the footprints stopped right there at the corner of the house. Mm. There were no prints leading to the front yard, nothing. So they are, ah, this is strange. So I, I looked down further and uh, the footprints were bare footprints, like oh my no shoes. Um, they were either the size of a child or a, or a small woman's footprint. Um, and they did not break the surface of the snow. Now, my daughter, she's seven. Um, and even she, you know, she's kind of small and lightweight, but even she would like break through the snow as she was walking through it. This looked, looked like someone had walked on the top of the snow. And I'm not kidding. This is an absolute true story. So I, I followed the footprints all the way back, you know, back across my huge backyard, got to the bottom of the bike trail. There were no slide, again, it had snowed, so there were no slide prints on the bike trail at all. Like, no one had slid down the bike trail and had walked down. It was probably about seven or eight foot, so you had to, like, climb up the steep hill to get to the bike trail. Nothing. So I thought, okay, maybe someone jumped down from the bike trail. This is getting, like, more absurd, because someone had jumped from the bike trail. It would have been a nice little jump. So I get up on the bike trail, and I look both sides down down the path of the bike trail no footprints nothing absolutely nothing the the snow is like clean it's white i'm like this just cannot be what it looks like this just absolutely cannot be what it looks like <laughs> and and i and i walked to the other side of the trail thinking maybe someone jumped over the trail you know to get to the to my yard which would have been almost impossible except for anybody but you know a great athlete and nothing no footprints nothing and and you know, we were talking about some of the, the evil, the Ouija boards. I never got the sense that those footprints were made by anything evil necessarily, right. but it was definitely this strange, bizarre thing that I could not explain. And, and everything that I'm relating is true. I saw it and, and I was trying to find explanations for it. I was like, oh, is there some kid running around, some crazy woman who escaped from an asylum or something? Like, is, is someone in danger? What's going on? And, and there was just no... It was just this trail, the footprints from the start of the bike trail to the corner of my house, and that's it. And it was just this weird, it's bizarre, uncanny, strange, bizarre. I mean, it, it's sort of one of the things that inspired my first um, paranormal fiction novel. So it was, it was, uh, but, but stuff like that happens to me all the time. So I don't. It's it's sort of like it's sort of like yeah. it's gotten to the point now where it's kind ah, of normal. I mean, not all the time, yeah. not all the time, but it, it's seemingly just just the strange, um, uncanny stuff. Like, well, honestly, I think you notice more because right. of what you do, because mm. you're a paranormal yeah. fiction writer, because you read paranormal fiction. I do think there's value in reading in that genre because it heightens your awareness of the uncanny in the everyday. 
And I think that's a spiritual faculty is in us because we don't live, we no longer live in an enchanted world. So, and we used to, but our world has become so secularized and we no longer live according to the liturgical year, unless you live in New Orleans. <laughs> we're not, we're not formed in the way of, um, you know, of, of Christianity the way we used to be. So I think, um, I think it's useful spiritually to be, to have your senses heightened in that way. But one of the things we did on our blog, Sick Pilgrim for October, was to highlight these kinds of stories of um, spooky experiences or encounters with um, the beyond. Um, and the reason we did that was not just because we're morbid freaks, but because we do believe that um, telling those stories and it's beyond just like getting the shivers and getting scared but it, it, there's value in heightening your awareness that we're living in an enchanted world so do check out the blog if you want to hear some more spooky tales on halloween little plug certainly that's yeah awesome. and I, and this is again this takes us back to the eucharist right the the, the moment where i think saint gregory said it of the moment where the scene and the unseen become one mm. um and, and charles williams and his very strange and amazing book called descent of the dove which is it's this weird history of the church which i, I recommend to everybody um but he but he quotes this this quote from i think it's from saint gregory talking about you know the eucharist is the point where the seen and the unseen worlds become one it comes to that one point in time and, and charles williams was an anglican he wasn't a catholic um but he, he just describes it so well this mixing of the seen and the unseen world and i think you know, I think a lot of Catholic churches have taken that for granted as, as mm -hmm. someone who's can, has, is a, as a revert to, to understand what's going on there. Um, we sort of Protestantized our service so much. Not, mm -hmm. not that we're, I would say, hey, let's go back to the Latin mass. But I'm like, we've, we've so like drained the mass of the mystery and, and the idea of like Christ is here. He has come. Um, and, and I think that that's sort of the thing that contributes to our you know, either Catholics lack of mystery or others is because, you know, we're, we're at a time, I think, in our culture where the mystery, people are so interested in this idea, Stranger Things, which is, Jess and I are huge fans of this show. I mean, it's just a, a symptom of what people are interested in. And the Catholics are backing away from this at the, exactly the wrong time in history. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and Many I of the people who are contributing are ghost stories and um, stories of the uncanny on the blog are not Catholic, um, yeah. but they're attracted to what we're doing um, and to thinking more about the Catholic Church because of this focus on mystery. And and I just think that's really interesting. I don't really know. I don't know what to make of it beyond that. But I know that the appeal of the sick pilgrim has um, kind of it's not normally among Catholics. It's among people yeah. who are intrigued by Catholicism, um, maybe a little weirded out by it or freaked out by it, but they sense that there is something there, that there's some, mm. that it Which is the repository of some great mystery and truth. I see that beautiful. all the time in our readers. Yep. That's beautiful. Absolutely. And y'all have a, a book coming out. You got about 15 seconds to tell me about it. <laughs> Well, what, what Jess just said, what just said, yeah, what Jess just said is what our book is about. Sweet. That's what it's about. Yeah. Well, it's everything we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have links in the show notes to all, all the good stuff that y'all are doing. 
The show is always too short when y'all join me, Jessica and Jonathan. Guess that means y'all have to join me again soon. (laughs) Hopefully in November, a month the church dedicates to remembering and praying for the dead. Be careful out there trick-or-treating tonight, and don't forget to check your candy bags for anything suspicious. I expect to see you alive and well tomorrow, and until then, bon appetit.